You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast, recorded in Scottsdale, Arizona. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at banner.church. Thank you guys for being here today. I'm excited uh, to, man, just to share with you something special. I just really want to thank our worship team. Can we thank our worship team this morning? Come on. It's awesome. I'm really appreciative. I They did, if you didn't know this, before Christmas, they did like back-to-back practices here. And we're here to way late just practicing and preparing. And I know there's many things to do before Christmas, but we're so excited. We're so thankful for our team in the back. Michaela stepping in. Jeff just doing an amazing job on sound. And and uh, man, it, it's incredible all the awesome people that make it happen here on Sunday morning. So I just want the band and everyone to know we're so thankful for you. We honor you. We appreciate you. Nick, Nick's had a cold for like two and a half weeks, but he's still like making videos and <laughs> leading worship. And we're just so thankful for everyone. Well, time to cough, Allie. I like it. Hey, uh, I just want to introduce and honor uh, a couple and a family that's really important to us, and that's uh, Tyrone and Amy Rinta and their incredible family here. We're super thankful for them. Uh, we worked with slash for Tyrone and Amy back in uh, back in the day in Washington, and we love this incredible couple. They pastor Bell Road Church up north, and really an incredible church. And man, it's it's just awesome to have you guys here. So we honor you. We love you. Um, if you guys are looking for a good pastor up north, you know, that'd probably be a good one, you know, if you move, move far away. Uh, but we, we're so excited this morning to be kind of ending 2019 and beginning 2020. And it's, it's a weird spot. Has anyone kind of felt like the weirdness of this time in between times? Who still has their Christmas tree up? Be honest. Same, same. We, this is a safe place, guys. Uh, we still have our Christmas tree up, all our Christmas lights. I'm not sure when Christmas is over, to be totally honest. I know the day ended, but since we put them up like a month and a half, do we keep them up a month before? How do you create balance? I don't know. Uh, I, how many of you think that by New Year's your Christmas tree should be down? Be honest. Okay, that's pretty good. My mom noted. <laughs> uh, <laughs> noted. Yeah, we'll take down all the Christmas decor in here, uh, and, and it, you know, it'll be fun. Some people, you guys leave them up all year. I have those neighbors, and let me just tell you, the rest of your neighbors, they love that. Uh, they love that you leave your Christmas decor up all year round. Um, but I, I think this season is really interesting because I would consider this the in-between, right? Like, no one really knows what day it is. Uh, my kid isn't at school. I have never so clearly understood that song of, like, and mom and dad can hardly wait for school to start again until yesterday. Yesterday, I understood it. It is now my favorite Christmas song uh, because it's so true. I love my daughter, but I'm like, we either got to, like, find you a sibling or something. But I cannot play Lego doll figurines or whatever. One more time, my wife, my poor wife is, like, on her 20,000th round of make-believe. We've run out of ideas at this point. We don't know what to make-believe. We're not that creative. We're not five, right? But we live in this time of in-between, and I think that this time of the year more exemplifies our attitude for the rest of the year, I think more than any any time. Because we're in anticipation of, like, goals we're going to set, things we're going to do. We're finally going to lose the weight, go to the gym. We're, we're finally going to find that budget sheet that we got in our money management class, and we're actually going to go with it now. You know, we're like, we're anticipating that, but we're done with Christmas. We don't have any money, so we can't go anywhere or do anything. Uh, but we live in this in-between of, like, what would be, what could be, what will be. And so we're kind of, like, waiting. What's funny is I think that that kind of actually sums up the rest of our year. Many of us, we live in the in-between. You know, if I could just get to my vacation next month, then it'll be good. 
if I could just get to this paycheck, then, then everything will be great in my life. If I could just get through this, to this, or into this season, or time, or place, or location, then everything's going to be great. We kind of live in the in-between. More and more in culture, right? Once Christmas is over, we're waiting for New Year's. Once New Year's is over, uh, kids are waiting for the end of school, or we're waiting for Easter, or waiting for something. There's always something we're waiting for, the vacation, the break, the thing. We live in the in-between. And that's the kind of funny thing about resolutions is because in the in-between, resolutions all make sense, right? Like, oh, I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to, you know, do all these different things. But we just live our life kind of hoping for the next thing. Hoping for that, that, that one vacation, that's what's going to fix our relationship. Right? That, that paycheck, that's what's going to fix my situation. That's what's going to bring me purpose and life and hope and fullness. But can I tell you, if you want to live life to the fullest, don't live it in the in-between. Live it in the afterward. And this morning, I want to introduce you and share with you a term called the afterword, because I think if you can live 2020 in the afterword, you will live it to the fullest. Turn to your neighbor and say the afterword. Oh, come on. Turn to your neighbor and say the afterword. Yeah, it's like you're about to introduce like an early 2000s pop punk Christian band at some kind of like creation fish fest, or I don't know what they call them. I don't know. Fish, it's a thing. It's a thing. Um, <laughs> we'll take it out of the podcast. If you listen to the podcast, Megan is shaking her head. No, it is not a thing. But, you know, this side of the room agreed. Uh, but the afterward is an important phrase. If you'd like to take notes, there's notes on the back of your, uh, your calendar that you got. All these things are kind of on the calendar. Some of them are up twice. Uh, and write down the phrase the afterward because we're going to come back to it. I think if we could live 2020 in the afterward, we would live it to the fullest. And let me explain what I mean to the fullest. I'm going to pray and then we're going to dive into scripture. Lord God, we thank you this morning that your word is alive and active. God, we thank you that you speak to us. And God, I pray that this morning, even though we might receive different things as we're hearing from the word, God, I pray that it would be no matter what your word and Holy Spirit, we pray that you would guide us this morning, that you would soften our hearts. And God, that we wouldn't just be informed about something in scripture, but we would be transformed by your word. So we give it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Something I want you to hear me say this morning is that Jesus desires that you would have life and have it to the fullest. John 10, 10, one of my favorite scriptures says, the enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. Some of your scripture might say to the fullest. Some might say abundantly, but it's all the same idea. The enemy came that your life might be destroyed. Satan wants you to be destroyed, but Jesus wants you to not only have life, but have it abundantly. That means that Jesus not only wants you to have eternal life, dwell with him eternally, but he desires for you to have all the temporal, all the earthly promises that he makes in his scripture. Hope, peace, life, joy, freedom. That he desires not only just in this moment that, okay, I'm set for heaven, but what does 2020 bring to me? It's life for the fullest. That's why in Romans 8.28 we're told, and we know in all things that God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. See, the good that God wants to work in your life, the fullness of living, the freedom of living is to become more like Christ. 
If you've been alive on the earth for more than like four and a half seconds, you might mentally make a note that there is a big difference between myself, my brother Felix and I, and Jesus. <laughs> There's a little gap. And you're like, well, I don't, how am I supposed to fill in that gap, right? And yet, it's amazing because God is infinitely gracious and merciful. And he invites us on a journey of sanctification to grow and to grow to be like him, knowing that we're not perfect and we're going to trip, we're going to make mistakes, we're going to do things. But that he's given us tools and spiritual disciplines that we might become more like him. Because more than me desiring it or you desiring it, you know who desires for 2020 to be the fullest year in your life, to be the most abundant year of your life is God. And when I say abundance, what I'm not saying is like abundance of like a material, like wheat or money. I'm saying abundance of God. More than anything, he wants to live with the fullness of who he is with you. And you're like, I feel ill-equipped. Well, see, Jesus knew that because he was God. And so in Matthew 6, he taught us some ways which we could draw nearer to God and receive the fullness of a life with Jesus Christ. So if you brought your Bible, go ahead and open up to Matthew 6. While you're opening, I'll just explain a little bit of where we are. Matthew 6 is, uh, is part of the Sermon on the Mount. It's the tail end, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And Jesus has been teaching his people how to live as a follower of Christ. And he's been teaching them uh, about kind of all kinds of things. He's, he'll mention adultery, murder, loving your enemy, you know, kind of the famous ones. He's got all the Beatitudes in there. You know, blessed are those, blessed are those, blessed are those. And he kind of outlines these things. And the purpose of what he's outlining here, importantly, is not to uh, necessarily promote the law, but as the person who fulfills the law, he's trying to direct their hearts and minds on what it means to really follow Jesus. And so you'll see this formula all throughout Matthew 5, 6, and 7 that says, the law said this, now the spirit says this. And you're like, well, what, what does that mean? Am I under the law? Am I not? What does this mean? Fulfilling the law? I don't, I don't understand. I'm not like studying the old, you know, what, what does this mean? And, and, and so I want to give you an example. Is what was done religiously is now done because of relationship. Uh, so the slowest and most uh, attentive to the rules of the road I have ever driven. I mean like every stop sign. I'm not talking like an Arizona stop sign stop. I'm talking like a full stop. Like full stop, wait, look, go. I'm talking every traffic light, every speed sign. The most I have ever driven according to the, the rules of the road, the law of the road, is when I brought my daughter home from the hospital. Now, I didn't do that because there were cops out. I didn't do that because somebody made a law. Now, was I functioning under the law? Yes, I was functioning under the law, but why? Because of my deep love. Because I deeply love this kid, and I was terrified. Because they just give them to you when you leave. They don't tell you anything. <laughs> and I was in my 20s, and I'm like, I don't I mean, We waited like eight hours for it to poop, and then we had to take it home. And then it was like, good luck. You know, like, who knows what will happen. <laughs> but I'm driving... Right, I'm obeying the law, I'm staying under the speed limit, I'm following the law, but I'm not doing it so I don't go to jail. I'm not doing it so I don't break the law, I'm doing it in response to love. And this is, this is really important as we look at spiritual disciplines, because if we get it kind of twisted up, we, we, we get into a, a problematic state of understanding in that we're, we're doing things in order to earn our salvation, but everything that Jesus is teaching here is in response to great love. 
It's that kind of intimate, relational love. That like, like me with my daughter, as I drive her home, yes, I'm, I'm functioning in the law in, in a sense, but I, I'm not doing anything according to that. I'm responding based off love. And so when he gives us these spiritual disciplines, what he's giving us is not like earn salvation, but live life greater to the fullest in the fullness of love of the Father. And so as we read this together, giving prayer and fasting, I want you to hear it not as like, man, if I don't do this, I'm not getting into heaven. But hear it more in the standpoint of a loving God who says, listen, I want you to have life and have it to the fullest. Are you with me? If you're with me, say amen. Amen. Well, I want to read to you out of Matthew 6, 1 through 4. We're going to look at it's giving, prayer, and fasting. There are three things that really mess with our human desire for constant control. Uh, and he's going to kind of hit them all in order here. He says this, Matthew 6, 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward. Someone say reward. Ooh, come on. Ooh. <laughs> Someone say reward. Good, 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 good. We're together. We're together. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, when you give to the needy, Sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward, someone say reward, will reward you. So he says, when you give, see, in the law, you know, we're they were compelled to give and under generosity and all these things. But what would happen is that it became about selfishness, which means I'm going to make a big deal so that everyone sees I'm giving. And if I give more, then it's, it's about me. So God's not mocking giving, not giving publicly. He's not saying, listen, don't, Jesus is not saying don't give, don't give publicly. He's saying, who do you really care about when you're being generous? Yourself or God? And he's saying, if it's yourself, then when everyone goes, wow, oh my gosh, they are so spiritual, then you've got your reward. You're set. But he says, if your heart is, God, I'm, I'm coming before you, I'm worshiping you, I'm setting my heart upon you, then your reward is from him. Matthew 6, 5, if you're with me still, say amen. Amen. It says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may see, be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Let's say reward together. Reward. Perfect. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to the Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty praises as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespass, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespass, neither will your Father forgive your trespass. Dramatic pause there. <laughs> That's a whole other message, verse 15. We won't get into that. Uh, but this is important. Jesus is not saying, listen, don't pray in public. You're like, wait, I thought you just said we were going to have some worship and prayer meetings. Now you're telling me, don't pray in public. Go into my room and shut the door. What Jesus is addressing is he's attacking a religious elitism spirit. 
See, if, if you've been here at Banner Church or you read scripture, then you know Jesus is not a fan of elitism, right? Jesus is not a fan of, of religious elitism. Jesus is saying, listen, if you get up and pray and use all these fancy words and try to act like you're better than everybody, and they go, oh, my goodness, wow, so spiritual, so spiritual. Like, I bet, I bet they have all the worship albums. Like, I bet they've read all, they go to all the small groups, right? Like, if you receive, like, this religious kind of reward, then your reward is good. You're done. But that's not what we want. Like, we could care less if other hear, others hear our prayer. Now, it builds faith when we pray together and we're told to pray together as the assembly and the congregation. But that's not why we do it, to elevate ourselves. Like, here's me, I'm mega prayer person. And then we have, like, associate prayer, you know, like prayer, prayer warrior, prayer assistant, uh, I don't know, muggles. I don't know whatever the, like, whatever the prayer version of someone who's, like, not into it is. I don't know. That, I don't know why that came to my brain. But the... <laughs> But in prayer, the, the, the key and the focus is not self-glorification but communion with God. Because here's what's amazing. If no one ever told you this, prayer is a gift. Prayer is a blessing. Like how crazy is it that we can be in the darkest, darkest place of our own mistakes and choosing, of our, our own response, and we can pray to an almighty, all-powerful God, and he hears us. There's not like a secret word or formula or thing, and then he's like activated, and then he hears us. He just hears our prayers. It's a blessing, and it's a gift. And so Jesus is saying, listen, not only in generosity, but in prayer, your heart should be, God, I desire more of you. I desire the fullness of you. Let's go to Matthew 6, 16. We're still rolling. If you're with me, say amen. Amen. Good. We're still good. He says, and when you fast. Does anyone's Bible say, and if you fast, real quick? Okay, good. Then you have the right one. It says, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees you in secret will reward you. Someone say reward. He says, when you fast, not if you fast, when you fast, says, when you fast, stop making such a big deal out of yourself. Now, what's funny about this is uh, we're a very generous church. People give generously, and, and we love to pray as a church, and so we pray together. It's something that we do. But it's funny, uh, in, in church culture, we've been, we've been taught that, that the first one means don't glorify yourself. The second one about praying means doesn't glorify yourself. But the third one about fasting means don't tell anybody you're fasting. Because if you tell them you're fasting, then God won't do something. As if he's like, God's like, well, I hope they keep it a secret or else I'm not going to show up. Right? Like, we, we kind of have this thinking of like, and I have had this thinking. Like, I'm, I, when I say we, I literally mean we, like me, have had this thinking. But, you know, as, as we've looked at Scripture and researched Scripture and spent time in the Word, what Jesus is saying isn't, listen, don't talk to your church about fast. Don't have corporate fasting because we'll talk about that in a second. But he's saying, why are you fasting? Why are you fasting? Because what they would do is they would, like, rub ash on their face and they would put on the sackcloth and they would come in and they'd be, like, moaning, like, oh, hungry. You know, they would go full hangry in the full expression. And then other people would go, oh, my gosh, so spiritual, just so spiritual, so spiritual. And they would get that word. They'd be like, yes, I am. I'm very spiritual. I'm very pious. 
But what Jesus intended it, it isn't that everything's done fully in secret, but to say, what is the aim of your heart? Because if you are doing it publicly to get recognition, it would be better to do it secretly so that you don't miss the reward. Are you with me? See, Jesus is teaching what it means to be a Christ follower. None of your Bibles said if, which is good, because the Bible says when. It says when you give, when you pray, when you fast. What does that assume? That we'll do it. Right? It's not if you pray, if you give, if you fast. It says when you do these things. Uh, so that means not only, there, there's not even any conditions in here. It's just when you do these things. In fact, Jesus so assumed that his followers were fat, will fast that he just said, when you do it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, one of the heroes of the faith, says, Jesus takes it for granted that his disciples will observe the pious custom of fasting. Strict exercise of self-control is an essential feature of the Christian life. Such customs have only one purpose, to make the disciples more ready and cheerful to accomplish those things which God would have done. The reason that Jesus assumes we'll fast is because he knows what a blessing it is. Jesus' whole point in the Sermon on the Mount and the whole point that he's teaching us here is, listen, you were religiously motivated before, afraid of violating the law, but now I'm telling you as someone who has received salvation, who, 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 you know, who will receive salvation, is that you are now motivated by love not and by the Spirit, not just by not breaking a law. And so after every principle, he says the Father will reward you. When you give, you can receive your reward from self-glorification, or God can reward you. When you pray, you can make a big stink of yourself, or God can reward you. He says, when you fast, you can be dramatic and draw attention to yourself and make it a whole thing, or God can reward you. What is the assumption that's made here then? God will reward you. Right? That God will reward prayer, giving, fasting, that it's God who rewards and so hear me say, in the Bible, God says fasting is rewarded by God. But it's important to say fasting is rewarded by God when fasting is done to seek God, and it is rewarded by more of God. Right? Because when we fast, it changes our heart. And we desire not, not just certain things or certain finances or certain checks or certain breakthrough. Our primary is desire more of God. And I think this is important because uh, fasting without God is just uh, convenient dieting or inconvenient, depending on how you view it. Right? Like, this is, why, this is why we preach this sermon. This is why we prepare. It's because if fasting is not motivated by God, then you're just going on a diet. Right? Like, you're just, you're just vegan now. Like, or whatever it is that you choose. Like, you're like, well, you know, I wanted to shed the pounds. I don't fit into the jeans I got for Christmas. And so, you know, Jesus said, you know, <laughs> I got to... But if it's not God-motivated, then it's, it's just a diet, right? I mean, fasting is pretty popular right now. Uh, intermittent fasting uh, and, and how people fast during the day to reduce inflammation and different things. It's like a popular cultural term. It's used in other religions, pe people not eating. Because it's not the food that's the important part here. It's not not eating that's the important part. If you don't eat steak for four days just because you don't feel like it, that doesn't necessarily mean your heart is fasting before the Lord. Are you with me? That's just like, yeah, I wanted to diet, and, you know, I didn't want to be the only person at church not doing the Daniel fast. Right? But it has to be God-led. You're not less spiritual because you don't fast. 
But fasting is a special tool. It's a discipline that God's given us. Here, let me give you a definition of fasting in case this is something new to you. Fasting is intentionally abstaining from food or drink for a period of time. That is the big definition of fasting. Fasting is intentionally, not accidentally, not, oh, I skipped lunch today, so now I'm fasting. Uh, Fasting is intentionally abstaining from food or drink for a period of time. Don't you think it's interesting that in a culture that is so locked into consumerism that we struggle the most with fasting? Like if you think that you are in full control of yourself and your flesh, just try fasting for a day and you'll be like, wow, I am profoundly selfish. I give myself whatever I want in the moment that I want it, right? Like when you fast, you're like, oh, wow, I do actually do what my, what my body says in that moment whenever I want to do it. And telling it no kind of makes me angry. Like it kind of, I feel like I deserve this. And it's a weird thing that your body does because it's assessing the authority of our flesh. And so when, again, I'm not talking dieting. I'm not talking, uh, you know, going vegan for the week or whatever you want to do. I'm saying in your life, fasting submits the authority of the flesh. Did you know that from the beginning of time, we have been a war at a war with our flesh and our spirit? God said, Adam and Eve, listen, you, you can dwell with me, you can be with me, you can be in my presence. And, and he said, but you don't eat of that tree. And then he, he bounced, and he was, you know, another part of the garden. And Adam and Eve said, listen, you know what, I actually want this, so I'm going to take it. And if God loved me, he would give it to me. Because my flesh wants it, because I'm hungry. But the separation and the battle that exists, when we fast, we dethrone that part of our flesh off of our life. We dethrone the authority of our stomach for a period of time. And some people, you know, you have dietary things. I'm not your doctor. I'm not here to tell you what to do. But I hope you understand conceptually what I'm saying here. When we fast, we take us off the throne. Fasting, if you're taking notes, write this down. Fasting is humility. Fasting is humility. It humbles us before God. And the good news is Matthew 23, 12 says, For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. See, I've tried to exalt myself. I'm not that great at it. I could build myself up, but usually I fall. What's better is if I humble myself and focus my heart on God and trust him to lift me up. Trust him to strengthen me, to renew me, to encourage, to support. Trusting in God. See, because fasting isn't just some physical thing, it's a spiritual thing. Because again, not dieting, I'm trusting God, I'm humbling myself. And what it does is fasting begins to bring our hearts into alignment with God's heart. See, so often in our life, God is, is so clear, and yet I'm kind of all over the place. And fasting in the moment as I humble myself, I come into alignment with his heart. It's been interesting because I've been working on this paper with the Assemblies of God, which is uh, the denomination we're a part of. And so working with this person in Springfield to write this topic paper for on fasting because I, I really desire and care about fasting uh, as, as a discipline as a church. And it's been amazing just researching all the times in Scripture that people fasted and, and fasted together. Is that, you know, people fasted in times of repentance. Jonah, we see that. 
People fasted in times of grief, 2 Samuel. People fasted in times of distress, 2 Chronicles. When facing uh, danger in Ezra 8, when facing times of war in Judges 20. Uh, national gatherings, Isaiah 58. Alignment with the Lord, Joel 2.12. Nehemiah 9.1. And basically, aside from the Day of Atonement, which was mandatory fasting, even in the Old Testament, they would gather people together and say, our hearts got to get aligned with God because we have missed something. And this is so important in fasting is the primary aim of fasting is not to move or change God, but to change ourselves and move us closer to God. Again, it's not like, oh, wow, man, I, I, I'm so impressed. Katie didn't eat steak for 12 days. You know, God's not like, oh, I'm so thankful. Nino didn't eat pasta for a week. I guess I'll move in his life. Breakthrough. <laughs> But more importantly, fasting and the aim, it moves our heart. It changes ourself. It moves us closer to God. Because God is there. The Holy Spirit is with us. And yet what normally separates us is us. It's our pride. And so fasting realigns our heart. And it doesn't move or change God. It moves and changes us and brings breakthrough. Fasting is not merit producing. Fasting is not manipulating God. Fasting is not, you know, hoping, okay, maybe if I do this uh, thing, then God, you'll do this. It's not a bargaining tool. My daughter loves to bargain with me. Well, if, if I do this, can I get this? If I do this, can I get this? If I do this, can I get this? Little does she know that I love her and I want to take care of her. But it's not a bargaining tool. Yes, if I only eat vegetables for a month, then God will heal me. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the goal and aim of fasting is to move my heart closer to God. And the closer I am to God, I have seen time and time again that his promises are true and breakthrough comes. Are you with me? In fact, Isaiah 58, God rebukes his people. He says, listen, you're doing this corporate fast, but your heart's not for me. It's not pursuing me. Rend your heart. Not your garments. Don't tear your clothes and show everybody. Open your heart. Because this is the thing. It's not like we're fasting because food is bad. It like distracts us. It's because we're focusing our hearts on God because God is greater. God is greater. God brings breakthrough. Because most importantly, man, you guys can come up. Fasting is about breakthrough. Fasting brings breakthrough. Fasting is this amazing physical act with spiritual implications. You can do this very physical thing, but as it aligns our heart, it has profound spiritual implications. And this is what's important about breakthrough is living life to the fullest. We have our 2020 vision poster. We're doing a series called 2020 Vision starting in January. To really live life to the fullest in 2020, you can't live it in captivity. You need breakthrough. Right? It doesn't matter if you are the highest paid slave, you are still a slave. So you could be rich and, as, and successful as a slave, but if you're still a f slave, you're not free. We need freedom and deliverance. We need those sins that for some reason keep circling back around, caught in a cycle of lust, caught in a cycle of greed, caught in a cycle of pride. You need that broken, addiction broken and released in our life. Because if we're going to live to the fullest, we got to get out of slavery. And so not only does fasting align our heart with God, but it's a spiritual act. It has supernatural implications, and it brings breakthrough in your life. It's amazing. There's so many uh, situations that call for fasting. Let me give you a couple. 
situation that would call for fasting is personally needing to repent or move out of habitual sin. Situation that might call for fasting is when entreating God on behalf of others. These come from scripture. When sensing the urgency for revival or awakening. When deeply convicted over the sinfulness of the people of God or over a nation. We could probably stop right there. That might be enough, but there's like a million more. It says, when desiring to be joined more closely to God. How about when recognizing the need for a stronger faith to lay hold of the promises of God. God's promised something in your life, but man, life is tough. And life has robbed you of the faith that you used to have in trusting God. God, used to be like, God, I trust you, I pursue you. But now you're like, I just don't know if I have enough. Fasting recognizes the need of a stronger faith to lay hold of the promises of God. We fast when seeking God's will and direction. Anyone need God's will and direction for this new year? Anybody need to enter 2020 with clear vision, with discernment, with wisdom? We fast when anticipating a special opportunity for ministry. God's been stirring something up in your heart, but you need again that clarity and that wisdom. How about wanting to intensify devotion? Jesus used to be your first love, and now he's your back burner. But you're like, you know what? I just want to be on fire for the Lord again. Last year was amazing. We did 21 days of prayer and fasting, which we'll do this year starting on the 6th. And it blew my mind as we began to see testimonies come in, freedom from anxiety, freedom from sickness and illness. There were repaired relationships. Relationships that were devastated were repaired. There was justice in court. Literally, we had laws change that, that affected people's lives in the future because they were praying and fasting because God showed up and moved in that way. Financial miracles, breakthrough, reoccurring addictions broken in people's lives. And this isn't because, like, we're special but because we focused so intently on the Lord. I think you should do this all year. But to start the year, we focus intently on God because fasting brings breakthrough. Fasting brings breakthrough in spiritual warfare. Did you know Jesus in Matthew 4, it says he was led off into the desert. Get the progression. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So what did he do? It says, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, and the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Because after he was led out into the desert, he was tempted, and he was fasting, and the enemy came against him, and he brought, and he began to twist scripture against Christ. But knowing scripture, Christ said, I rebuke you. And he used the word that was in his heart to rebuke him. He had spiritual victory. Matthew 17, Jesus proclaims this kind never comes out except by prayer and fasting. Fasting brings break breakthrough because it helps our spirit wage war against our flesh. Right? Like, I don't know if you knew this, but your spirit is fighting a battle in your flesh. Look up when you have a moment, Galatians 5, 16 through 18, and you'll see that, that your body, your flesh is waging a war against your spirit, the appetite of your flesh. I want to do this. I'm God of myself is waging a war against Jesus as God and King. Right? We know this because we experience it daily. The battle within. And fasting creates humble hearts that prepare a way for the move of God. That's the breakthrough prepares a way. Joel 2.28 says, and afterward I will pour out my spirit on all people. 
Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. I think it's great that we live now in a time post-Pentecost where we have received the Holy Spirit. And yet we desire more than ever for God to pour out on his people, for the Spirit to move like never before. We have received the Holy Spirit. He's with us. And yet I think we would all agree, if you know the Holy Spirit, that we have not seen the fullness of him displayed in our nation, in our city, in our church. We desire so much more, all the gifts, all the fruit of the Spirit. Because it says, and afterward. Every biblical fast has an afterward where God pours out. So after what? I want to read to you. Joel 2, 12, right here it says, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me, speaking to Israel in this moment, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning, and rend your hearts, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Verse 15 says, blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, even the nursing infants, let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Meaning get everybody out into the fast. And it talks about the Lord having mercy and it says this in verse 28, and afterward, after this, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. As our heart aligns with God in the fast and in fasting, we always see an afterwards. And there's two things that really can happen in 2020. You can live in the in-between or you can live in the afterward. And can I tell you, church, myself with you, us as a family here, as a church body, I want more than anything for us all to live in the afterward. Now, we have resources. If you go to banner.church slash 21 days, we're going to have some in print where you can read about different kinds of fasting. It is not my job to dictate to you what to fast. That's between you and the Lord. That's why I'm preaching a week ahead on it. Because listen, I desire more than anything for you to live in the afterwards. If you are led by God to fast with us as as a church and as a body, if you feel led and called in this moment to do that, to follow with us as a family, I, I believe that God will bring breakthrough in your life. Because as your heart aligns with him, he brings breakthrough. And I want us to live 2020 in the fullness of God. And not in between. Not in the cycle of addiction, not in the cycle of oppression, not in the cycle of hopelessness, not in just wishing there was more, not in in between the the present and the promise, but walking in the fullness of what God has. Not to sit in the in-between, but to rest in the fullness of the afterward, where God has poured himself out and shown himself like never before. Can I tell you, church, this is what our city needs. It doesn't need another group of people in the in-between. It needs a group of people in the afterward that are willing to say, God, I submit the authority of my flesh so that you would pour out your spirit so that we wouldn't lose the battle of our city to mental health and over-medication and depression and suicide and identity crisis, but we're going to choose to sacrifice of ourselves so that we can live in the afterward, so that we can see healing, so that we can see discerning of spirits, so that we can see prophecy, so that we can see restoration of families, so that we can see our schools become a place of rest for young people rather than a place of hurt for young people, so that we can see in our own lives 
the hurt that a church has done to us finally be released so we can see in our own lives the pain that someone has put upon us finally being let go so we can see in our family the future that was promised finally be stepped into, right? There is more to life than the in-between. There's the afterwards. And I want to tell you this morning, if you make a choice to pursue God, to align your heart with His, there's always an afterwards. And so you have a choice to make for yourself. And the question you ask is, God, how are you leading me? How are you guiding me? What are you calling me to? And if he calls you in this moment to be a part of 21 days of prayer and fasting, then I encourage you, stretch yourself, but don't hurt yourself. And press into what he has. Would you stand with me this morning? Just close your eyes with me. Moment of focus. We're going to pray. We're just going to worship the close in a moment here. No big altar call today. It's just a moment of self-reflection for you with your eyes closed and your head bowed as you respond today. You and the Lord. Some of you might be there and some of you might not. And I want you to know everyone is welcome as they walk with the Lord in the stage they are. But if you're on the line, I think no matter what, you have to ask God and say, God, how are you leading me this morning? And you might feel that gentle nudge and your flesh wants to resist. But this week, you're going to be praying, God, what do you want from me? And like Joel, in this moment as we reflect, I just want to blow the trumpet and call us together to fast. Because our city needs it. Our families need it. Our children need it. Our church needs it. We need it. And can I tell you, you will not regret pressing deeper into a God that loves you so fiercely and desires good things for you and desires to meet you, desires to give you a greater revelation of his love. So this morning, I'm going to pray for you. Every eye closed, every head bowed. And as I pray, I just want you to pray over yourself and say, God, would you direct me? Holy Spirit, would you give me wisdom and clarity? And if this is for me, God, would you give me a direction? I want to commit to this. Starting January 6th, 21 days of prayer and fasting. I want to pray for you this morning. And then we're just going to declare the promises of God. Maybe he's going to bring some to your mind. Maybe he already has. And you're even now just going to begin to lift him up to him and say, God, direct me this morning. Jesus, I pray for every person here at Banner Church this morning. God, and everyone even listening online, God, we pray this morning. We pray in this moment for your clear and profound direction, God. God, I pray for a group of people who desire to live in the afterward, who desire to live pressing into you like never before, God, seeking after you like never before. And God, if there are things that block that path in our heart, God, if they need to be moved, God, we pray move them. God, if they need to be reconciled, we pray reconcile them. If they need to be healed, we pray heal them in Jesus' name. And God, I pray that the year 2020 would not be another time in between, bouncing back and forth from 
holiday to holiday or experience to experience or, or hopefulness to hopefulness, but it would be a time of the afterward, a time after spending 21 days pursuing you that there would be breakthrough like never before, that families would be restored like never before, that relationships would be renewed like never before. God, we not only pray for revival, we pray for awakening over every person. God, we don't just need revival. We need an awakening and a stirring, a wisdom, a clarity that comes from you, Holy Spirit. So God, I pray right now that you would impress upon our hearts a deep desire to pursue you, a deep commitment, and a deep endurance to continue it in the name of Jesus, that we as a body of believers might rejoice in the afterward. And so God, we declare over this whole season as a church, God, whether we're at the place of participating or not, God, we declare over this fast that you are faithful, that you are good, and that all your promises are yes and amen. We say it again, God. We declare over this fast and over this church, God, that all your promises are yes and amen because you are a faithful God.